0: What is up, everyone? I want to welcome you to the newest episode of WTF is Happening with the Fed. This is your host, CK. I just want to give you a quick update before we get into the episode. Colin Harper, my amazing former co-host, is no longer with the show or Bitcoin Magazine. Colin is doing great things elsewhere and continuing to cover Bitcoin. Uh, I love Colin and I'm so thankful for the time I got to work with him. And wish him the best of luck everywhere and in everything he does. Ansel Lindner, the host of Bitcoin and Markets, will be coming on as the permanent co-host for the show and resident historian slash economist. Ansel is a fantastic Bitcoiner, fantastic analyst. He does a great newsletter as well as a great weekly podcast on Bitcoin and Markets and has been doing it for many years now. Ansel is going to bring an awesome element to the show where he does very, very deep research and um, has spent hours um, trying to understand Fed policy and what is happening. But before we get into it, let's talk about our sponsors. First and foremost, you know who it is. It is Swan Bitcoin. This is one of the best places to stack stats in America they are available in forty nine states, and they look nothing like Coinbase. They look nothing like Kraken. It is not a trading interface. It is really a place that you can send your mom, your aunt, your sister, whoever is not you don't want them to see some crazy altcoin chart and you know all this trading UX. You want them to be saving Bitcoin Swan to have this thing is called the sentence. You walk through the sentence. You say, "How much I want to save." how often I want to save it, and to what address I want to send it to. It's really that easy. Check out SwanBitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. Next up, eToro. For those of you who are into trading, <laughs> check out eToro. eToro is an amazing one-stop shop where you can buy Bitcoin and pull it off the exchange, but you can do so much more you can index invest, you can test out your TA skills on a virtual platform where it has no real skin in the game, or you can copy trade the best traders. You are passively getting exposure to an active trading strategy. Check out eToro at eToro.com. Last but not least is BISC. BISC is an awesome, awesome application that enables you to buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin without having to register with the service. You download the BIS software, you use the BIS software to coordinate with other buyers and sellers, and you can buy Bitcoin in a very, very easy way from the safety of your home without having to participate in KYC or any of that other kind of registration activity highly recommend to give BISC a try. Amazing open source project, amazing platform, and again, very, very easy to use. Check out BISC. Without further ado, let's get right into the show with the great Antal Lindner. What is up everyone? Welcome to WTF is happening with the Fed. This is CK and you are listening to a Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm really excited for a new era in WTF with a really fantastic Bitcoiner, someone that I have personally learned a ton about Bitcoin from when I got started in 2017, Ansel Lindner. Uh, is going to be joining me as a co-host and resident hobby economist. Uh, Ansel was on the show a couple weeks back and has uh, probably the most popular episode of WTF so far. So I'm excited to bring Ansel back as the regular co-host. Ansel, welcome to the show, and thank you for uh, for coming back and being a part of the show.
1: Woohoo! Thank you, Christian, for inviting me. Uh, I'm very excited for this opportunity, and uh, yeah, this is. My favorite subject, macroeconomics, so i 'm ready to go
0: on your podcast, Bitcoin and Markets, your regular podcast i'm a big fan of it. You have been talking about deflation and have kind of been giving the listeners a crash course on the euro dollar system and how we are actually operating in it. Um, can you talk a little bit of, about that and then maybe introduce uh, you know how we 're going to build on on those ideas on WTF.
1: Yes. So my podcast, I've been doing it now. uh, This month is four years. And just in the last couple months, I've been doing this uh, series on deflation, a case for deflation, because as a gold bug uh, coming in and then being a Bitcoiner, um, you know, we have this Austrian mindset of QE is money printing. It's going to lead to inflation. And that kind of central idea underlies a lot of the arguments in the space. And I, I wanted to examine that I wanted to say hey well what if our what if what if we're thinking about this all wrong it's been 12 years of QE in the United States and we haven't seen any inflation really uh, it's been 30 years of QE in Japan and they're they're still not seeing inflation so um, if we're not seeing inflation um, do we really have money printing and that kind of led me down this hole and so I wanted to talk about it and that's where the That series on my podcast came from. So originally the Bitcoin and Markets show, my roots in that show are just dissecting the news, but from a Bitcoiner perspective, not necessarily the Fed's actions and monetary policy and stuff. I do sprinkle that in, but uh, I, I felt like I was concentrating too much on that on my show and I wanted to get back to more of the uh, hot takes, sort of thing. So this show is giving me an opportunity to do, to do both, and I'll be able to do the hot takes on Bitcoin markets, and then dive deep into the macro stuff uh, on WTF. So I'm excited to do both of these things.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, let's let's jump into what we're talking about today. Um, when I asked you about you know what what is the most relevant topic, you brought up this <laughs> decision by the German courts. Um, essentially countering the QE activity that the ECB has uh, been doing the last few years. Can you, you know, lay the groundwork of what has just happened in Europe?
1: I'll try to. Um, So I think that the two biggest possible black swans out there are CCP breaking up or having some sort of revolution over there in, uh, in, in China and also the Eurozone. So uh, I think the Eurozone is much more fragile uh, than a lot of people want to admit, and it's gigantic. So if there's a problem with the Eurozone, I mean, what's going to happen monetarily throughout the world? I mean, the dollar is going to get way stronger, right? Because the Euro is going to not be around anymore. Um, anyway, that's why I think that this court case with Germany is really important. What happened was, this was at the end of 2019, the EU started buying like sovereign debt directly as part of their QE. And that went into the German courts and they were fighting it. Uh, and then the German court uh, found that this was illegal, that the ECB can't do that according to German law. And this that's a big deal because the German courts are supposed to be subordinate to the EU courts, but this turns it on its head. And the German courts gave a, the ECB 90 days to stop. And if they don't stop, then... We don't know what's going to happen. Um, Of course, the ECB replied and they said, why are you even bothering us with this? We're not going to address it anymore. This is the last time we're going to talk about it. Kind of, you know, a a slap in the face of German sovereignty. So um, I think it's going to come to a head. And this might not be the thing that tips it over, um, tips over and makes the Eurozone uh, break up. But it's definitely going to be a rallying point for Hungary, Poland, Netherlands, some of these other similar countries or with similar ideas about the ECB. They might form some sort of coalition or something to fight what the ECB is doing. And it's it's going to get ugly, I think.
0: I've been reading and studying the sovereign individual and the ideas in that book a lot. And it's really underpinned around nation states and these you know, large organization of nation states like the ECB breaking up into smaller jurisdictions. And you definitely, I feel like, can see that in Europe first, but I suspect that in the United States we're going to start to see it eventually. So it's really interesting to kind of like see these conflicts within the Eurozone as like a precursor to what might happen across the globe.
1: Yeah, I think um, that's, that's another possible possible black swan is the maybe like Texas seceding or California or something. But um, it's harder because what currency would they use? They would probably still use the dollar, but Germany can go back to the mark. There's history there. It's only but the euro's only been uh, in circulation for 20 years. So they can easily go back to the mark and uh, Texas can't do that. Uh, another thing is studying the repo markets recently, you know, the plumbing, the base plumbing of the system, there is uh, repo stuff for U S like a basket of, of collateral in the U S and it's designated as U S general collateral. Uh, there's also baskets of collateral in Europe. And it used to be before from like, I don't know, maybe 19, late nineties to 2008, there was a basket of European collateral. So it was just EU general collateral. But since 2008, it's already broken up. So now there's Italian general collateral, German, general collateral, French, general collateral. It's already like they're almost admitting that they're, the uh, monetary system over there, the, e, the the Eurozone needs to break up. So it's, gonna, it's much easier for them is what I'm trying to say. But I could see something happening in the United States as well, but not in the near future. That's far down the road.
0: Yeah, maybe Bitcoin is a lot more important before it becomes viable in the U.S., um, you do bring up like, yeah. the, the dollar is sticky and powerful and Europe could go to the dollar too. Like the reality is that the real, all the real economy in Europe is on the dollar standard already. So it's not like they are actually that tied to the Euro.
1: Yeah. All the G- German corporations are, you know, taking uh, loans in dollars. Um, same with every big corporation in the world. Uh, this was, it's a big problem with heavy export countries, Also, countries that have big shipping industries and and import-export type things. Um, Greece comes to mind. Um, Lebanon just had a recent issue. You know, they're going through some hyperinflation, and they defaulted on a bunch of euro bonds, which are dollar-denominated bonds. That is an example of how, yeah, the dollar is just ingrained within all of the international settlement in the world. It's 90% of it.
0: This really kind of sparks the idea in my head that we should do a show where we kind of bring the listeners up to speed about like the current status of all the major kind of economies around the globe. Maybe that's a series of shows. Um, But let's get right back into this specific court case. Can we dive into some of these details that you've laid out in this, uh, in this document, what exactly is happening here and, and you know what you think is going to shake out.
1: Yeah. So I just provided a bunch of links for different articles over the last Month explaining this, and I've seen a lot of pundits out there, you know, that you would see sitting down on CNBC and stuff. They don't think it's a big deal, but then you read like kind of maybe more niche uh, people from the ground in uh, in Europe, and this is a really big deal. It reminded me a lot of the Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions, and for those people that aren't up on their American history, this was uh, very close after the signing of the Constitution. So we. The founding fathers signed it in 1791, um, and then at the end of the 90s, there, so it's like 1798 or 99, they signed this Kentucky Resolutions and the Virginia Resolutions, and these were about nullification because the states were still really worried about the federal government overstepping the Constitution, and so they wanted to put down in writing that no, if we don't like this, we can opt out, right? And it just makes me or the the German situation here, they're they're kind of nullifying eu stuff especially the ecb specifically here uh, they're they're nullifying the ecb's efforts and it just reminds me of the kentucky resolutions i don't know where i want to go with that but um, yeah no, i
0: mean it, it kind of makes sense and you know if greece were to do something like that no one would actually care but the fact is yes. germany is the most important economy and therefore like germany has the ability to kind of you know put the ECB in a tough spot because them not cooperating is a much you know a much more powerful thing and you know like you said it, it could bring on even other countries to stop cooperating like the Netherlands and Poland and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, there's been this uh, thread throughout the last maybe decade about a northern versus a southern eurozone. Um, so yeah, you have like Germany, maybe you would have France in there. And the Netherlands, uh, Poland, um, places like that, maybe even the the Baltic states, Estonia and stuff, those would be in like the northern Eurozone. And then the southern Eurozone is where all the problems are coming from. You have Spain, Italy, Greece. Uh, and so if that could be like a fault line that we see break up, um, Poland has been really hard line, Hungary as well, just very recently. And that's why I said that I think they could jump on board with, um, you know, backing the German courts over the European courts. And I don't know how they vote on this stuff, but if there is some sort of vote, you can see like a political divide that would be building within the monetary union, which would be very negative for the Euro and very positive for the dollar. Um, it would also be positive for Bitcoin, of course, and gold.
0: It's, just, it's really interesting seeing this play out, and I mean, the no- the north-south divide would be very interesting. Like, what would the south look like? That couldn't even, like, that would be a significantly downgraded state or jurisdiction in terms of, like, its place in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, they probably wouldn't stay together, because I don't see, like, Spain wanting to pay for Greece's... Uh, debts, right? Um, So they probably wouldn't stay together. And if there is going to be some sort of core uh, monetary union, it would be just the North. It'd be really hard to do that because, I mean, just think about how tight it is right now. Brussels is in control of so much and everybody, all these governments have basically gotten on their knees for the European Union. Well, what happens uh, to, or how would that be built into a separate, smaller union. I don't think it could be. I think what would happen is just Germany just peeling off and they would agree. Like I, <laughs> I was in uh, college, uh, when a lot of the title IX stuff was going on. I don't know if you are familiar yep. with that. Um, and so I was in the big 12 and I was a swimmer. So I was a collegiate swimmer and they, uh, all of the big 12 schools got together and they cut their men's swimming program the same year. So it was like, hey, if you cut your, because they all had to cut something. They're like, okay, what are you going to cut? What are you going to cut? So they were colluding and they decided all to cut the swim team. And I just think about like the European Union, they could, like Poland could come and be like, okay, hey, we'll leave if you leave. And, you know, they they can collude to all leave at the same time and go back to their national currencies. I think that might be something like that.
0: Okay. So you don't think that there is a north-south divide. You think that the Northern countries, just like the UK did, is going to just say, see you later.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I don't think that it's just too hard politically to form a little group that leaves. I think you would have to just have single uh, countries leaving and then maybe five or 10 years down the road, they decide to work together. Um, But I don't think they would all leave together and keep a Euro or like a Euro North. I don't think that that would... That would happen, but they, there is definitely a political divide. Like you can just tell the South versus the North, the North is much more uh, productive, first off, but they're uh, much more savings oriented and things like that. Where the South is always has problems with their budget, they're not as productive, um, and so there's definitely this political divide between North and South.
0: When you're talking about these countries, how they would potentially leave or how that scenario could shake out. Um, I kind of think about the U.S. and how states would break up, and I actually think it's kind of the opposite. If states were to break up, I think they would break up as a coalition. Like I can Mm. see the West Coast saying, see you later. I mean, maybe Texas by itself, but um, it seems as though states kind of need each other more because there's more of an integration with the United States as a country rather than independent countries. In terms of the ECB versus the Fed, um, those are also different. They kind of also have different priorities. Can you talk about, from a economic and monetary perspective, how do these things differ?
1: Well, the, they have different mandates. The Fed has a dual mandate of maximum employment and stable prices. I mean, th- these are like theoretical because we don't even know if they have the power to do this, but. Um, Maximum employment and stable prices. And within that, stable prices for the Fed is um, moderating long term in- interest rates. And they target symmetric inflation. So they can do policy to keep inflation low or to push inflation up. So their target's 2%. And if it's running at 5%, they can uh, change their policy to bring it down. But if it's zero, they can change their policy to push up inflation. The ECB is slightly different. They don't have an employment mandate. It's, it's strictly stable prices. They don't have a systemic inflation target. So it's just uh, below 2%. So that's why we've seen like these negative rates in Europe and they can't really do anything. I mean, inflation is zero or negative and they, they, ECB does not have the mandate to push that up, right? They, they only would have a mandate to keep inflation down. So that that that's part of playing, or that plays partly into this whole thing with Germany because the Bundesbank is historically extremely um, careful. They're extremely rigid. They have very sound monetary policy when they were the central bank. They're still the central bank of Germany, but when they were their own um, central bank and when they got in, they thought, hey, well, this is, they will only fight inflation if it's high. They won't fight low inflation because they're really, scared of inflation. I mean, if you go back to the Weimar inflation of the 20s, you know, Germany has had a very bad hyperinflation within possibly the living memory of some people. And so um, they are very scared of inflation. And now some of these new policies by the ECB is bringing up this whole topic again. And they're saying that's illegal. We didn't sign on to that. You can't try to make inflation go up. So that's kind of ties that together.
0: The ECB wants to do QE and they want to do all these things, but because of these you know, scars in the German memory um, and in their policy, they, uh, you know, they're like, whoa, 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 like now you, you're going too far. Right? This, is, this is where we're not comfortable. Again, like we, like we said, Germany is such a powerful country in this scope. Them or France are the only countries that could do something like this and it would matter anyone else is a subordinate is truly a subordinate to the ECB.
1: Yeah, and there's also a, a little bit of we've had enough sort of feeling because they're the powerhouse economy in Europe. I don't know how much bigger they are than France, maybe 25% at least bigger than France. And so they've carried a lot of the ECB, they've carried uh you know Greece and Italy and and Spain. They've carried a lot of that on their own backs and now they're like okay, we, we've been paying up and now you want to try to make my inflation go up? We've had enough. It, it's, it's not a good sign. It kind of, to me, it says, you know, this is not just a, an elite revolt. You know, like the elites of Germany aren't the only ones that want out of this. Uh, I think it's kind of throughout their society. If they probably had a vote today uh, to leave the European Union, it would be pretty close. I bet it'd be right around 50-50. And that's just at the start of this coming depression. Uh, by the end of this depression by like 2 or 3 years from now i bet that will swing you know 60% would vote to leave if they got to vote
0: wow i mean like in the 20s could be the breakup of europe like i i personally think that europe by far has the closest chance of of changing from a from a jurisdictional uh, perspective
1: and then what would you say would go uh like how would that affect bitcoin and how would that affect the dollar you know that kind of thing what what do you see
0: so, I mean, this is interesting. Like, my interest in the dollar has never been higher. My interest in Bitcoin has never been higher. I think both of those things are ripe to dominate the next 10 years. I don't know. Like, really, I think the dollar is already dominating. And I think Bitcoin's role in dominating is going to continue to increase. Because the main difference between Bitcoin and the dollar is liquidity and, um, and permissionlessness. And Bitcoin is infinitely more permissionless than the dollar. Um, and I think that is going to allow Bitcoin's liquidity to continue to increase to increase to a point where now, liquidity-wise, they effectively serve the same role. And then that, that's when I think it gets really interesting for Bitcoin. Um, so Bitcoin's going to be side-by-side side with the dollar, the you know, or growing side-by-side side with the dollar for a long time. But once Bitcoin kind of gets to the point where it is just as useful then all then there's no reason to use the permission system anymore.
1: So when does Tether overtake Ethereum is the question. Because I've thought for a long time that, you know, it's, the, it's Bitcoin versus the dollar long-term. And, I mean, you might throw gold in there as well, but Bitcoin versus the dollar. And it is only right to gold have Tether. Gold can't upgrade. What's that?
0: Gold can't upgrade. The dollar, <laughs> the dollar can upgrade. Like, I think that that's something that people don't fully appreciate. If the yeah. dollar is upgrading and getting with the times and it's in a free market methodology too.
1: I've had to change my thinking over the last year or so is um, just how much of a free market the global dollar system is because the fed isn't in charge. Um, nobody's in charge of this global dollar system. And so when you get down to the bare bones of it um, yes, it's free market. It's, it's a crazy thing, but it's a free market because it's shadow like if people knew what's going on as people learn more about the euro dollar system then i think it'll be much harder to or that the governments will start coming in more into this system and trying to regulate it but getting back on the tether thing i've i've waited for (laughs) tether to become the number two uh coin in this in this in this ecosystem because you know, it's Bitcoin versus the dollar. That's it. That's the only thing competition that matters.
0: And again, props to you. Like I've been listening to Bitcoin and markets for a long time. And some of the things that you were most right about are the, one of the things that you're most right about is Tether. You're right about a lot of things. I really do think that your analysis in the Bitcoin space is, is unparalleled, but, uh, oh, thank you. Jeez. but, uh, in terms of Tether, like you were spot on with, with Tether, like very, very early, like, Tether is the most important stablecoin here, or is the most important altcoin. It's Bitcoin and Tether. Um, you even just like I think a- accurately described Tether's role to Bitcoin in the in the crypto ecosystem uh, very early on. Um, and you were talking about stablecoins becoming extremely important and p- potentially bigger than Bitcoin um, in the short to medium term. Early on, like I'm talking about uh, 2018, you're talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So. How are you so early to tether and how are you so early to understanding the dollar, even though your understanding has evolved a lot recently?
1: Well, I, kind of come at it from a anarchist perspective. And I think of this, this technology, what's really going to take off is when you can route around problems, right? Route around regulation and tether was doing that. They were being fought in court, They were being chased around the world. Their bank accounts were hopping here and there. And everybody was like, oh, you know, tethers, insolvent, tethers, insolvent. And I didn't, I never believed that. I just thought that they were playing whack-a-mole with the regulators trying to stay one step ahead of them. And so um, I saw the huge demand for them that they were needed. And so it was pretty easy to say, well, they're probably the, because if, if regulators went after Ethereum that way, or XRP, there's no way that they would sustain against these regulators the way that Tether did. So I just thought that Tether deserved to be up there and knowing that the competition was between Bitcoin and the dollar, that really obviously made it easy to pick Tether. I don't think I was necessarily earlier than a lot of people, but uh, yeah, I just might have talked about it on a podcast before they did.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, it's going to be really exciting to talk about this macro escape and actually acknowledge Bitcoin and other cryptos, potential, you know, Tether for sure, um, you know, their role in, in shaping the future. So I think that's one of the biggest differentiators about WTF, um,
1: especially with you on board. I'm very excited. Let's uh, get bigger and bigger and educate people about what's going on with this monetary system. Awesome. Ansel, why don't you
0: tell people where they can find you and your other great work? Uh,
1: You can find me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, or um, you can look up the podcast. My other podcast is Bitcoin and Markets. It's everywhere that you find podcasts uh, on YouTube as well.
0: Awesome. And then you can find me at CK underscore Snarks on Twitter. You can find my other show, POV Crypto Pod, the Bitcoin versus Ethereum podcast at POV Crypto Pod on Twitter please rate and subscribe Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. You're listening to this show on the Bitcoin Magazine Podcast feed uh, and check out Bitcoin Magazine at Bitcoin Magazine. Thank you everyone for listening. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.